Welcome back to Fin15. It is very good to have more than Griffin today. Um, as a reminder, our show talks about business news, design, startups, and pop culture. As we venture into interviewing podcast guests, our goal is to highlight small businesses and their journey through entrepreneurship. That means the good, the bad, the ugly, and the rewarding. We dive deep into the origins of their business, its current state, the tools they use, and how they plan on growing it. Today, we have Harry Capel coming at us from New York. How are you doing, Harry? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Griffin. Uh, excited to be here. We're glad to have you. Um, what'd you eat today? <laughs> what did I eat today? Uh, let's see. I, I, I was in the office today, so we did a big test order from client or, or you know, just a, a larger, a larger food group that you know, we, we like to we like to do some stress testing sometimes and see what their delivery experience is like. Um, well, you're going to be eating a little later since we're recording deep into the East Coast evening. So we appreciate your sacrifice. Uh, well, speaking of food, we can speak about drink to start. Is your January been dry, wet, damp, on the wagon, off the wagon? Oh, I I never once tried to kid myself into believing that I could do any form of dry or damp or, you know, anything other than wet. Um, so, you know, I've, I've maintained a pretty standard pace of drinking that I, that I had throughout the holiday season. I love it. I love it. So a musty one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's, there's some funky stuff brewing. He's living in the peat bog. He's just a, he's just a walking living kombucha. Yeah. Oh, there's there are quite a few probiotics in here. I'm coming at you all from uh, below the BKE kombucha uh, brewing factory here. Um, that's where my my music studio is. So uh, I'll put in a good word with them, and we'll see if see if they can get us some product. Very cool. Love it. We we're lo- always looking for new sponsors, such as maybe. PepsiCo, Naked Farmer, Bobo's Cafe, <laughs> Nash. But yeah, a kombucha won't be good for all, all of our, our combined uh, health goodness. But I digress. Griffin. Well, we have a guest today, and that is one Harry Capel. Why don't you let us know a little bit about you? Why, why are you here, other than the fact that we are very good friends? That's a great question, because I couldn't possibly come up with a reason of why you'd invite me on this show. Um, anyway, went to school in Boston for four years. I studied, I actually went in as a, philosophy, or a physics major, uh, had a great first semester, you know, balls rolling down hills, what forces are acting on them. And, you know, got to second semester, turns out, you know, I had to calculate the electromagnetic torque on a flagpole that was going off at a 37 degree angle that had a certain electric current running running through it. And I decided physics was not going to be for me. Um, and I pivoted to philosophy and math. Um, P equals wow. MV. P equals MV. Yeah. Refraction. Quite, quite the refraction. Quite, quite, quite. Yes. Do you think of like a, a spear going into water? Yeah. Yeah. Or like unrequited love or... Whoa, that's the wrong, wrong, wrong we're really, show. Sorry. We're really diving in there, huh? That's deep. <laughs> you put my, you put my brain in a figure eight. Yeah, yeah. But um, 
<laughs> so anyway, yeah, I pivoted to philosophy and math and, you know, those two do actually go together for, you know, anyone who's familiar with a friend in law school, those, those are, those two are a classic pairing and, you know, the way I once described it to a friend is philosophy teaches you how to think about problems, not necessarily solve them. And then math is how you solve them. I will say more, more Plato, more problems. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what they say. Harry, are you, are you a fan of uh, math rock or math metal? N- no, I've never heard of this before. What? Griffin, you know what math, math rock and roll is, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say nice things about it. I'm not a big fan of it, um, but I love that people like it. Can, can, um, can, I, can one of you enlighten me? What, what is this that we're talking about? I'll let Griffin describe it since he's a much better musician than I am. Less articulate though. I I'll describe it. So it it's it's basically very um, heady sort of musical theory heavy rock and roll. I feel like it like comes from like the fusion part of like like jazz fusion a little bit, but like it's very um, it's like obsessed with like patterns in music and like oh as is, some, is this like what uh, Jacob Collier does? Uh, I think. I, I don't Collier, think Collier. Am I pronouncing that right? Collier. I think I, I think it's Collier. Collier. That that kid's a genius, but he's way. he's amazing to watch, like or to listen to, yeah. and he, you know, and somehow he 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 brings an audience along with him, and all of a sudden they're doing harmonics together. And yeah, <laughs> a really spectacular performance. He always he always looks like someone who's been recently electrocuted. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I think that's part of his, uh, his pre-show routine <laughs> is to just. <laughs> Uh, I'm not, I don't want to. I don't want to even, you know, say things. I don't want any listeners getting the wrong ideas here. Yeah, yeah. Well, our, our podcast extends across the pond, yeah. so we don't want to offend Jacob. So <laughs> no, and 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 we don't offer medical advice. You should seek a real doctor's opinion with an MD, preferably. But um, we that's a the DOMD distinctions for another day. Um, anyway, so math rock is just heady rock but you you're not you're not in on 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 that kind of music which is totally totally fine because um you didn't stick with math did you no i did not um i you know the last couple years of philosophy i I had some really amazing professors um and i i did the whole you know study of fresh existentialist french not fresh existentialist (laughs) (laughs) uh french existentialist and this idea of you know, intertwining life, passion with passion and work and becoming both a subject and an object. And the, you cannot live in disharmony with oneself. And so what I, you know, as I was leaving school, I started to take a look at the things that brought me joy in my childhood and the things that had continued to bring me joy up to that point. And I landed with food. Love it. Love Came it. right back to New York reached out to a couple friends and family and i just jumped into that world i mean you you couldn't get out of boston fast enough uh, <laughs> oh, i don't like that yeah, city you, you pretty <laughs> much uh jumped as far as you could into manhattan so you, my whole life you've been uh, an incredible cook after college you obviously went to culinary school uh what what set the the last domino in motion what what uh forced the water to break inside of you mm. 
uh, I stepped was I, I came back to New York. Uh, I reached out to a couple friends and family who had connections in the world, and I ended up. My first job was with a guy named Nick Anderer. He used to be. He was working with Danny Meyer at the time. Um, he originally opened Mayolino with Danny Meyer, uh, which was you know right on Gramercy Park, just a really wonderful restaurant, uh, like semi subterranean. So if you're sitting at the bar, you know you're watching, you, you're looking out on Gramercy, but you're also seeing just the the bottom halves of bodies walking past. It's, it was a very surreal experience and just amazing food coming out of there, really Roman style. Um, like fried pig's head, beautiful pasta, et cetera, and a great Negroni. Um, but anyway, I did not work wow. at Myelino. <laughs> uh, I worked at, he, Nick Ander was looking to open up a, you know, a more of a fast, casual Roman style pizza place. He had Myelino, he had Marta, which is still going. Fantastic, you know, big wood-fired pizzas, uh, I think everything in the restaurant's still cooked on a wood fire, you know, meats, you know, I think they smoke some things for certain salads. Um, but he was trying to shrink that, you know, concept down into fast casual pizza. Uh, and maybe that's doing a, d- a disservice, but that's what he was trying to do. You go in, you order a $15 pizza, three minutes later out comes this, you know, really high level um, piece, of, piece of food. Um, and then you can also have the option to order a $50 bottle of champagne if you want. Uh, wow. So it's a pretty cool concept. That's New York in a nutshell right there. You know, $15 pizza, designer, and a bottle of champ. Yeah. You kidding me? <laughs> that's that's what the uh, the dollar slice stores are missing, right? <laughs> <laughs> that Paul Roger, yeah. <laughs> so I, I remember, actually, I don't know if I visited you when you were at Marta, but I did have their pizza, and I think we did have a glass of bubbly while we were there. Very good. You are not vibing with gluten um you want to you want to tell us about your relationship with that yeah no i'm a i'm a lifer uh, i was i was on the early wave of of diagnoses um so i was like two years old my parents were having you know minor anxiety attacks because everything they put into my body i rejected um i had those long spindly fingers big distended belly like two <laughs> years old maybe and they brought me to you know, one doctor, he was like, I got no idea what's going on. And he didn't even want to do any diagnosis. He said, so you should go to a gastroenterologist. And uh, yeah, the gastroenterologist was like, all right, you guys aren't going to believe me, but I think he's got this thing called celiac disease. And sure enough, we did a blood test. And when I was two and a half, I, I stopped eating gluten. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, going you, back to those dollar slice shops. I've I've never had a New York slice of pizza. Yeah, but so you've been off the glute since age two. Age two, wowzers! I've I'm I'm someone who developed a lot of food allergies as I got older. Um, but the one that was pretty apparent when I was drinking alcohol at 16 years old was uh, being Asian and being allergic to whiskey mm-hmm. uh, or getting the Asian glow. But uh, I I know about food dietary restrictions. Uh, restrictions. I don't have. A gluten allergy, but I imagine um, growing up in the pizza and bega mecca, they could always be, uh, you know, a carrot dangled in front of the face that you can never get to, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I think it's my grandma loves to tell this story of 
you know, she'd bring me out to these dinners or like these lunches. But if, if she was around to pick me up from school, you know, she'd go into the back of the restaurant and be like, hey, do you guys have any sort of gluten-free bun for, for this little kid? They would say no. And then I would sit there with tears in my eyes while all my friends got burgers. And I would have, you know, I mean, I got the burger, but without the bun. And it's not quite the same experience. Right. No, that's totally. that's like the peanut butter and jelly with just jelly. That's kind of gross. <laughs> that's kind of gross. I've had that. Really? Yeah, as someone who's allergic to peanuts. <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> that's tough. Man. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, uh, uh, you Griffins are going to talk about that later. If you, if, you can put some butter, if you can put some butter in it, it judges it up a little bit, but it's a sad sight to see. Well, you know, it's, it's like, um, it's just... It, Th- those peanut butter and jelly, they just go together. And if you're missing the other one, it's like, uh, I don't know. I, I was I was thinking about a pretty bad example. But I was going to say uh, it was like Simon without Garfunkel, but we know that it's all about it Simon It was just anyway, fine so. without him. <laughs> I mean, that, that's more of a PB sandwich. Like a peanut butter sandwich is just fine. Yeah, from totally. a sugar but, perspective. But, but, you know? but a, a jelly, a jelly can't hold up by itself. Totally, totally. Well, I had a quick question, Harry. So I'm sure you've been asked by millions of people in your life, what was it like growing up in Manhattan? And I guess my question to you was, what was your favorite part about growing up in Manhattan? I mean, just the 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 seamless melding of worlds, you know, as opposed to, I'll just finish with New York and then I'll like show the other contradiction that I lived in, which was Boston. And you know, New York, you walk from you walk ten blocks in one direction, and you're in a totally different world than if you walk ten blocks in the other. And it's not like you know, oh, you're across the train tracks, and now I'm in this area. Like, no, it happens without really feeling that change until you stop and take in what's around you. And it, it that's a pretty good answer. It, 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 it creates this open world to explore, especially as a child, and you you're you're exposed to not just your world not just your parents world and not just you know the world of the people you interact with every day in elementary school and middle school and their parents but you know every person you happen to bump into or walk past is influencing you in some way that's a damn good answer um and i agree with uh that statement wholeheartedly uh as Living in New York was one of my favorite places I've ever lived. In your high school, when people turn 16, do they get driver's license or do they not because everyone's riding the subway? Uh, it's a, you know, I think it was pretty split in, in my case. Um, our, the high school I went to was up in the Bronx. And so, you know, half the people were like, uh, half the people said, yeah, as soon as I'm 16, I'm gonna get my license and have a little bit more autonomy. Um, you know, the other half was just like, yeah, I can I can take a bus to school. I can take a subway to school. Uh, you know, if I think from my parents' apartment in the West Village, it took me exactly an hour to take the one all the way up to the last stop at 242nd Street and, oh and walk walk to school from there. Wow. Different Love world. It. I mean, yeah, do kids still send uh, get sent on the subway to school every day? I think so. Yeah, I mean that's what at least a, a true New Yorker parent would do it. That's how we weed them out, huh? That's it. <laughs> did you grow up? 
Did you grow up riding the subway by yourself in first grade or something like that? I mean, having met a lot of your high school friends, the, they're great. But what I really want to ask you is, you had access to, speaking of like the suburban city divide, amazing restaurants growing up, amazing restaurants all the time, whenever you basically wanted to actually, well, whenever your parents wanted you to go. Um, <laughs> what, do you remember any, like your favorite restaurants growing up? Yeah, uh, of course. I mean, right at the end of the block I grew up on were, you know, the two that my parents always brought us to, but um one was no it's no longer there but the french roast i think they still have a location on the upper west side but this was the original i think i can't remember which one's the original location but right on the corner of 11th and 6th avenue the french roast you're like a classic french bistro brasserie feel it used to be open 24 hours and it was always a special occasion to tuck ourselves into the corner booth and you know that's where you park on a sunday evening you know they're there my parents are trying to wrangle me and my brother and sister and what a safe place to do it in <laughs> so at any point if one of us had a meltdown you know one of the one of the parents shuttle us home to the, down the street and everyone else stays there to finish their steak frites or burger um, or whatever it is we'd ordered that was that was one uh and I actually <laughs> I'll keep it even like keep it keep it in that same area, right? Across the street was a you know, classic white tablecloth Italian spot, jeans. Um, and jeans actually, I think there was a headline about it at the beginning of pandemic because Sarah Jessica Parker uh, would, like posted about them and uh, petitioned a city bike to move a rack out from you know, directly in front of the restaurant so that they could build their outdoor dining so that they could survive pandemic. And, you know, Jeans is, is, is an institution in the neighborhood. Is it the most mind-blowing Italian food you've ever had? No, but it was the place where I learned how to love a caprese. And uh, not just any caprese, but like a midwinter starchy <laughs> tomato caprese. Mm. Like, oh man. Mm. Sarah Jessica Parker. I mean, she she's the the conduit for spaghetti in the city, right? She kept it going. Yeah. Oh, she did. Yeah, we're and, not and talking about they they uh, they they moved it and they got their outdoor dining and jeans is jeans is still going strong. Love it. That it's that iconic red and white uh, awning, right? Uh, or is it green? Maroon, maybe. Maroon, or I'm just colorblind. <laughs> Blind, bl- blind taste buds and colorblind as well. Um, you you developed quite a palate, and then you know you started making your own your own uh, concoctions at home, um, and you go to culinary school in New York, right? Yeah, the formerly known as <laughs> the, the the culinary <laughs> school formerly known as the French Culinary <laughs> Institute, which unfortunately. Uh, closed during pandemic you know it turns out you can't it's hard to pay rent uh, for a multi-story school in the heart of Soho when you're not allowed to have people indoors so another RIP there uh, French Culinary Institute Um, so I went there for four months and you know four months of classes really a program designed for career changers so the class included you know 
ages 18 to 60 plus. Uh, you do four months in, in school and then you get sent out to a two or three month externship and then you get a diploma, which really means absolutely nothing. Um, and then you go tackle the world of working in restaurants. GPA probably played a pretty big factor, huh? <laughs> yes. They were asking me to solve physics equations. I, I couldn't help them there. <laughs> Where did you do your externship? I was in, the, the program I was in was specifically their farm to table uh, culinary program. And so, you know, the hyper competitive D1 athlete side of my brain was like, well, you have to secure the, the externship at Blue Hill because that, that's going to prove that you know what you're doing and, and, you know, what's the point of doing something if not at the highest level that could be done. So Blue Hill, yeah, I, I, I went to work there. Type A, type A kingdom right there, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Run by working, Danny Barber. Danny B. Working at just a stone's throw from home too, right? That, that definitely helped me in my, in my darkest times. Um, yeah, to, and to be clear, I was working at the Blue Hill, New York, not Blue Hill Stone Barns, which is up oh. in Westchester. Gotcha, yep. Two too pastoral. Um, I feel like you really you cut your teeth there because that was kind of the first like high caliber restaurant you were working full time in, right? I mean, you know, noon to night. Yeah, and it, like noon to you know, you walk in the door at twelve thirty and walk out any time between twelve thirty and three. You know, depending on how many walk-ins you had, what day of the week it was, and how many things got set on fire that night did you ever read kitchen confidential of course were you do you feel like given because i'm i'm a, i'm probably like 10 years older than you guys so like for me tony bourdain and when all of his shows were coming out like it was a transformative part of my life especially as it relates to food and travel were you watching uh his shows uh when they were when they were out or were you guys too young Griff, I don't know about you. I would I would watch Parts Unknown and some of his stuff, but I guess for me, and this you know actually maybe ties into my experience later when I started making some you know level of food content that I, you know I'd watch a few episodes and then be like, okay, eh, you know, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Live it, live, live it, breathe it. It's like if you're if you're a, a divorce lawyer or a corporate lawyer or any sort of lawyer in you had to endure the summer of suits. I imagine you weren't watching suits because it's it's bringing up too much stuff on the daily, you know? Yeah, exactly. Drama. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that, that book, uh, obviously I didn't read it when I was a kid, but uh, you read it as uh, a late teen and you're like, fuck it. I, sorry, excuse my, pardon my French. Now you can uh, swear on this, no. this podcast. No, <laughs> it's all good. Oui, 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 oui. Oui, oui, ah, live and let live, so maybe. Uh, <laughs> is, that a Paul, is that a Paul McCartney reference or? Yeah. You know, Stella you, McCartney, <laughs> vegan. That's the sorry. We're we're not devout vegans here, but shout out Stella. No, you read that book and and you know again similar uh, that, that toxic want to to you know punish yourself and do something really really difficult because then at least you can say you did that thing. You know, you read Kitchen Confidential and you just, you want to be part of that world. 
or at least I did some some you know part of my brain did and and many other people follow that path to an extreme and it's and boy does it scratch that itch when when it's good and, you know <laughs> people ask me if I if I miss working in kitchens and it's tell them it's like uh like a drug addict misses drugs it's it's the highest high and it can be the lowest low yeah what were your coping mechanisms while while working in that kitchen grinding away <laughs> well, well tell us i might i might be i might be a weird exception here like you know i have i so i blue hill new york i i was lucky enough to be able to stay in my my parents apartment while i worked there and so you know, we get off work with the coworkers and you have three options, right? You can either go directly home and lay in bed and lay awake for, you know, an hour, two hours as the adrenaline, you know, comes mm-hmm. back down to a normal level. You can go out to the wee hours of the morning and, you know, you know, having some extracurriculars to help take that edge off. <laughs> um, some some very late nights in the West Village where you walk outside and the the lights are the light of the the sky is already lighting up and you realize you have to be back at work and you haven't slept but you know you're not really thinking about it. Um, and then the third option, which I for whatever reason, and, and again maybe this came from my background as an athlete was I would walk to the Planet Fitness on 14th Street and Union Square. The pinnacle and of gyms. The, yeah, it's it's a really special place, man. If you guys haven't been to a Planet Fitness at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, I mean, it does not get much better. You have, you know, Equinox LA, and then right above that, Union Square Planet Fitness at 3 a.m., <laughs> Another, it gives the color purple another meaning, right? <laughs> it really does. <laughs> I would run, I would walk in there, I'd run three miles as fast as I possibly could, burn off that, <laughs> those demons a little bit, uh, pat, like, you know, pass out in a corner of the gym for a few minutes and then do a proper workout and then go to bed and then do it all again. The trifecta, dealer's choice after you get out of Blue Hill. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of after you got out of Blue Hill, you you obviously didn't do that forever because you're talking to us at 8.35 um, when you would normally be working. That was a dark time. I didn't see it very much then. It was sad. Why did you decide to move on? (laughs) I think it was just, I I think what helped me realize that this is not what I wanted to be doing. Um, I actually stumbled. I'm, I'm in the middle of a move right now and I found one of my journals from that time and I I had written that I equated my experience, my, my daily experience to inflating a balloon and I walk in the door of that restaurant, take a big, you know, you inflate the balloon and you try and hold your breath for as long as you can to keep that pressure up to keep it inflated and then you walk out of the door at the end of the night and you can finally let the air out and hope you didn't pop before then. Except that every time you do that, you know, you're stretching that balloon a little more. And so every time you, you're ending a night, it's you're just a little more beat up. Kind of sounds like uh, the exit of a fish show um, in MSG. <laughs> sure. I, I haven't had that experience yet, but... Uh, t- a lot of balloons. A lot of balloons. Okay. 
um, yeah, so I, you know, it got to I got to about the year mark and started talking to my friend who was in finance and neither one of us, or both of us had realized we don't want to be doing what we're doing, but we really want to be working for ourselves. And we started diving into, you know, alcohol. <laughs> Not in the way that I previously described, but, uh, you know, how to, how to brew it, how to make it, and you know, eventually how to sell it. And, you were you know, we, fermenting, not not um, abusing. not lamenting, not not lamenting, fermenting. Uh, well, we were doing a little bit of both. Um, well, it's it's interesting. You know, we were fermenting. We were also brewing. I always get a little. Uh, of course, I should know the main difference between the two, but we were playing around with a bunch of different yeasts, a bunch of different uh, sources of sugar, because really that's what what you need to create alcohol is you need a sugar source and you need some form of yeast or bacteria that's going to chew up, eat all that sugar, and burp out alcohol and CO2. Um, and what we ended up, we ended up deciding on honey as our source of sugar and a various mix of brewers and ale yeasts and the occasional wine yeast. And we started diving into this world of mead. Which I mean, we f- we found out was the oldest oldest form of alcohol. I think the oldest mention of mead, or let alone alcohol, is actually from like a nine thousand BC text from China, uh, and it's you know it mentioned this honey pot that had been left under a roof and had been you know left outside. And what happens if you leave honey and dilute it with water? All those natural bacteria all of a sudden are allowed to you know flourish. And the, I believe the text mentioned like strange vision or honey that granted strange visions. Oh, psychedelic honey. honey. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> people were getting, oh, sorry. Someone's at, someone's at my door right now. No problem. Stand by. Hey, sorry. No problem. Good. So yeah, people were getting drunk on me in 9,000 BC. Wow, wow. Well, as relate, I mean, Meadery has uh, clearly uh, quite the quite the backstory. Uh, I'm familiar with Meadery, having sold alcohol myself at one point. Quick question: Did you come up with the name Middle Child Meadery? <laughs> I, I did. Yeah. Um, and you are a middle child, I presume. I am a middle child, and and you know, my my business partner and friend back then were we were all torn up. We, we had been doing this for. We've been getting it set up for almost a year. We had done a cross-country road trip to visit all these, you know, famous meteries across the country. And you know, what do we call this thing? Because, you know, anytime you're building anything, it's like, yes, we can always rebrand in the future, but especially for a niche alcohol, niche market, how do you arrive on that perfect name? And it's it's a damn good name. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was. I mean, we just we just kind of ended on it. It was we started playing around with like the MGM Grand logo, and we could do MCM Grand. Uh, we there are so many brand brand aspirations there. You did agonize over that branding for a long time. It, it paid off. I, I still have some middle child koozies in the in the drawer. Yeah, no, you know we had we had such a good time with it. We were. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, 
anyway, you're, you're, you open, I mean, the mead was killer. Um, n- pun not, there's no pun there. Anyway, it was great. Um, what, <laughs> we, what, so what the lessons the did you take? Killed people. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so you killed a few people with your mead. All right. We're going to gloss over that. Um, <laughs> no, what, what lessons did you take from Blue Hill moving into that? Cause that's a huge change. Mm. Yeah. Um, I guess this is really, you know, how does anyone move out of a kitchen to <laughs> some other job that's either in the food world or food adjacent, you know, what skills are actually applicable. And I think the, you know, the biggest one is, you know, organizational skills. Um, number one, how to prioritize and really quickly make that prioritization of your tasks. So, you know, if let's say I'm working on a fish station, right? And there are four components to that dish. One of them takes 15 seconds. One of them takes 30 seconds. One of them takes like 37 seconds. That if a chef calls that order in, you know, I know exactly what has to happen and in what order to get that done. And then someone next to me goes down on their station. And I know that their tasks require X amount of prep, X amount of time. And that all has to happen within a certain time frame of my task getting done. Um, and so you'll hear, you know, other people who've worked in restaurants that, you know, the best line cooks um, are the ones who are not just amazing at getting their station done and getting their, you know, tasks done, but they're the ones who are able to operate without blinders on. And they're, you know, even though you're hyper-focused on, you know, your perfect nice cut, knife cuts, your, you know, your perfect plating, you're also, you know, your eyes are also obtuse and you're looking at the two stations on your left and right and you're noting what they're doing. And so that in the off chance, someone goes down, um, you're there to scoop in or to swoop in and help and make sure that that ship keeps sailing smoothly. Um, otherwise, the whole place is going up in flames, both literally and, literally as, and figuratively. And as a former sailor, uh, you know about you know teamwork, uh, truly. Uh, otherwise, you'll be three sheets to the wind. So that teamwork in the kitchen is probably, I mean, that's probably the camaraderie element that is the high too, right? Yeah, totally. And I mean, that is one thing, you know, as difficult as Blue Hill was, it, you know, it's a, it's a pirate ship, just like most most people describe their kitchens. And it was a weirdly, extraordinarily supportive environment, you know, with the exception of a few people. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, we all knew that the second you walk in at 1230, it's a battle. And if you are going to be an asshole about it. You're going to get treated like an asshole and you're going to make everyone's life worse. So, you know, get in there, ask for help when you need it, be there for help if someone needs it. And, you know, maybe you'll be able to get out of work at 1am. I feel like I'm getting relationship advice right now. Um, Yeah. Dr. Drew's cousin. Uh, Well, having uh, had multiple business partners, and knowing there's quite the balance for the interpersonal part and also being an entrepreneur. Um, what was it like managing that with, I think you went into business with your friends, right? Yeah. Um, went into business with one of my best friends at the time uh, for, with the Mead company. And, you know, for a long time, I, I think 
it was really good. You know, it's it's we we definitely now I'll make a pun not to enter not we were in the honeymoon phase. Um, yeah. You know, it was exciting. We had we had cast away our our all encompassing jobs. We were doing a thing that we were excited to be going to do every day, and you know the 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 excitement when we would walk up to people and talk about what we're doing and you know being able to be truly proud of the journey that we were on was was a really unifying and an exciting thing to share with each other. Um, now that being said, right, he was coming from a world of finance and I was coming from more of a, a culinary and for lack of a better word, artistic side of the business. And there was, we were always aware that, you know, if it, when it came down to it, he was going to be focused on making sure this was a business and I was going to be making sure this is, you know, the product is good. Um, and I, I think we were actually very good at, you know, setting those boundaries. Um, especially weirdly toward the end, he put together some, you know, a lot of resources that were, were way ahead of schedule. So, you know, we were, we, we had our pitch deck or, or our pitch mm -hmm. materials ready for potential investors. Um, we had projections, not that we had sold a single bottle of meat <laughs> to that, <laughs> that point, but, you know, based on, based on market research, that market research, of course, being us driving around the country and getting drunk off other people's mead was you know, that was market research. Um, yeah, it's a write-off. So yeah. <laughs> oh, no, we didn't We didn't have the LLC yet. We were could not write that one off. That was, that was a tough one. Um, so we had that, and I was, you know, I saw these massive Excel sheets of all our recipe testing and, you know, dates, times, you know, uh, additions, um, additions being, you know, nutritional additions to the recipes, tweaks, tasting notes, uh, sugar content levels. Um, and really, I think when, when it came down to it, you know, it, this was now the winter of 2019, uh, you know, right before the turn of the new year. And I, I think the, the expectations, the honeymoon phase was kind of ending. And the realization of what it's going to entail to, you know, have this be like to, to run run not just a alcohol production company but eventually a tap room and you know everything that comes along with that i think hit us very differently and it just became clear that it wasn't it, it was not going to become a healthy relationship and mm -hmm. so it was kind of nip in the bud before it, it really devolved in a worse way well, if are I, you guys still friends? Uh, I, don't, I would say we don't really keep in touch that often, but you know, when we yeah. see each other, it's it's really friendly and amicable. I was gonna say, uh, if I remember correctly, you and uh, your partner, uh, you almost signed a, a commercial lease like winter of twenty, beginning of twenty twenty, or something. Yeah. yeah, it was. Well, so this last conversation we had. Uh, I think it was December of 2019, uh, like very beginning of December of 2019. I, weirdly enough, was going through my computer the other day and I found the, the lease agreement that had gotten sent over. And there it was, it's like 2,500 square feet, 
We had all of our requests written out. You know, we were going to put in ADA uh, accessible bathrooms or ADA compliant bathrooms. We had our drainage, you know, requests put in. Like we had, it was, you know, all we needed was a pen to paper. Um, and of course, in light of what happened to the world only a few months later, thank God. It wasn't meant to be. It wasn't no. um, mead for this world. Oh, boo, boo. Yeah. <laughs> well, kudos, kudos to you to not only launching it, and I imagine the food, the, the testing phase of, of uh, combining the ingredients and the recipe must have been fun as hell, and obviously launching it off the ground, but um, I imagine you learned a ton, and um, moving on wasn't easy, but it probably took you to the next part of your journey, and here you are now, right? Or what is the, what was the next part of your journey? You know, pandemic hits, go back to live at home, don't really don't know what to do. Um, my sister graduated college, or rather she came home from college, like right in the middle of her spring break because of pandemic, obviously shutting things down. Uh, it was her senior year, you know. We started making dumb food videos at home and uh, we had a good time, you know, doing... We, we purposely did like the bare minimum with editing. So, you know, picture like Eric Andre style. Yes. You know, kind of losing our minds in there. Um, with some guest appearances, of course, from parents, a grandma and, and a dog every now and then. Love it. Um, yeah. And, you know, that, of course, that, that's, that's when I realized, I, you know, I had people reaching out to me, you know, friends, other People with connections to, you know, potentially making this more of a production, like, you know, those are the early days of food content. And, you know, to that point in a bit, it was just really binging with Babish, Joshua Weissman, you know, those really, those, those original food content creators on YouTube. And I, I'm looking at what's involved and like, what's the end product that, that you're providing. And I, it's, it's just a step too far from what food is and what food should be for people. And I just kind of told everyone who wanted me to keep making those or like, or, you know, keep ratcheting it up a level. I told them, no, this is, I like the level it's at and this is not something that I want to necessarily continue doing as my thing. Well, it yeah. sucked the joy out of it for sure, huh? I mean, other than the fact that there was a global pandemic. <laughs> I. No, I, no, definitely not. It, it was mad fun. I, I, I really enjoy cooking like that, and also the video editing. <laughs> video editing is, you know, it's like me chuckling to myself, and as I said, like doing some doing some pretty shoddy, uh, <laughs> you know, editing uh, to those silly home videos. Do, do the videos still exist? Yeah, go for, go go check them out on Instagram. This is all right. <laughs> but what G G we'll have to add it to the show notes. I will. I will. Yeah, I, I really I'll, I really don't update that Instagram that much, but uh yeah, there are three three pinned videos right at the top. I dig it. Now you work for a very cool cool name, Figure Eight Logistics. You 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 know, you uh I wanted to say sublimated, but how did you end up there? Uh, let's see. So yeah, uh, 2021 goes by. I am 
I started my own sauce company. You know, this is, I'm, I'm back in the city. I'm, I'm living with a friend. Uh, you know, there's still no traffic really. So like I'm able to like make sauce in, in jars, send them out to like drive around the entire city within a single day, dropping sauce and like, you know, sharing food again with people and making me very happy. Um, what kind of, what kind of sauce? Ah, uh, we were we were all over the place. The the brand was called Thought Sauce, like T H O U G H T. Um, you know, not not thought. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it was great. We we were doing sauce. So, so you know, the big hit was a Szechuan chili crisp. You know, we were doing a turmeric ajo. Uh, we had some very funky uh, fudges that we made. Uh, just kind of, ha- again, having a lot of fun with it, you know, and, and it was like weekly, bi-weekly releases. Again, as that started to scale, I'm looking at it and maybe probably had some PTSD from the mead making. And I was like, okay, I don't necessarily want to get into production. Also, I can't handle this self-delivery anymore, nor do I know anything about how to build a proper delivery system. You know, helped drive me toward this question of like, well, how do I, how do I go like back into this food world because I'm, I'm really interested in food again. That burnout from cooking is long forgotten. I've, I've rediscovered this love of restaurants and, and providing for other people. And, you know, they, there's so many different ways to enter the restaurant industry that are adjacent to, you know, individual restaurants. You know, after applying to certain jobs across like the subscription boxes, you know, I applied to Butcher Box, uh, Friend of a Farmer, Misfits. And I, one of my old managers from that original pizza place, Martina, that I worked at with Nick Anderer, she posts about this new company, Figure Eight Logistics, which was started in 2019. You know, I DM her on LinkedIn and simultaneously apply to the job. She ghosts me, which cool, you know, no, no harm, no foul. Uh, but luckily, Figure Eight did not. And I sat down in an interview with the CEO, uh, I think a week later. And then so beginning of 2022, I started Figure Eight. Amazing. G- give us the elevator pitch of Figure Eight. Mm. We have actually internally you know, talked about how do we set, like, what do we call ourselves? Because a lot of the work we do is spanning across so many different parts of the restaurant operations experience. I think we, you know, base level, we are restaurant consultants and we focus on helping restaurants of any size with their off-premises business strategies. Um, Off-premises, of course, referring to anything related to delivery, pickup, catering, consumer packaged goods, uh, etc. And, you know, as I said, we're coming in at, we're, we're, we're working with restaurants of any size, whether you're a single location mom and pop shop that has only ever accepted cash to, you know, multi-hundred unit franchises and, you know, scaling your operations somehow from there. Um, wherever you're starting, we're going to take you up to the next level or the next 10 levels. Would you say you're the McKinsey of restaurant consulting? <laughs> that's, 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 I would say absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm in the process of reading this book that came out called The Big Con, which I believe John Oliver talked about, you know, and it's all about this 
what is consulting? And, and you know, we got, we, we had this moment across all consumerism where we got rid of the middleman. That was the big focus to, to you know, have that direct mm. relationship. And then at the corporate level, we started emphasizing this almost need for the quote unquote objective standpoint. Um, and so there's there's been this recent big pushback against those large companies that get paid outrageous amounts of money to, you know, come in and let's say just drop a a stack of recommendations. I would say Figure Eight is very different in that regard. In that when we work with a restaurant, we take a very holistic approach and we do we, we look at what we call the delivery cycle so what does it take for an order to get from the point of sale to the kitchen you know to the pan to the takeout container to the bag to the courier to the guest and then how does that guest then provide real-time feedback or you know feedback into the marketplace that's then going to feed that next order in and what we do is we see wherever you're at on that delivery cycle, and we don't just provide those recommendations, but we walk you through that process of, you know, assessing, rebuilding if needed, reimagining, you know, what you have in place um, or what you might need to move to that next level of production and operation, and we see it through, you know, to implementation roll or through implementation rollout and you know that troubleshooting um, period that always occurs after you implement uh, a new system. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine on the data intake, especially maybe some of the smaller restaurants or even the larger um, organizations, right? All of the information data uh, is in disparate sources. And so are you basically pulling all that information together and digesting it through the discovery phase and kind of putting a framework toward it as you kind of evaluate the the systems? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's spot on. You know, I th our end goal... I used to be a consultant. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm picking up on that. Um, yeah, like our end goal is always the consolidation of systems. So any order that's coming in whether it's through you know, your third-party app, your phone, or directly through your point of sale, is all getting funneled toward your, you know, your data hub. And so when, if you're a savvy restaurateur, when you're starting to pull your monthly sales or your, your P-mix, you know, your, your product mix for people who don't know, like you're not missing any channels in your consideration. And, and that's gotcha. oftentimes like how we start that process, right? We, we ask them, you know, at face, like in that first couple calls, like, tell us what you think you need. And then if we think there might be more to it, we'll take a look at the systems and, you know, do somewhat of an audit of like, well, actually what we're seeing is, you know, X, Y, and Z, and we can solve this solution or solve this issue that you think you might be having because of reason X and actually solve it because of reason why. The Capel method. I wish, I, I can take no credit for the delivery cycle. That's all, that's all our, our CEO, Scott Landers. Yeah, it seems like a, a pretty awesome team and uh, 
obviously solving a big need in the marketplace. Do you guys deal with any ghost kitchens? Uh, we we have had you know certain connections with ghost kitchens in the past. One thing we've often run into, I think, is you know one of Figure Eight's mottos is uh, human problems require human solutions. And yep, <laughs> that's all efficiency already already they've already reskinned the cat a hundred times, right? Exactly, and you know what they're doing. You know they have massive teams to to streamline that that operation already and yeah. ghost kitchens are, are like i would say almost different from a restaurant in a way that like the, it's a the factory yeah and and the work that goes into setting those up is you know similar to what we're doing to a point that we don't necessarily have right. a place so in, redu- in that exactly we don't have a place in that ecosystem Gotcha. Do you, who? Um, okay. Two questions. Who's your favorite client? And then two, who's your biggest competitor? You know, at, at one end of the spectrum, and this is where Figure Eight really got on the map. Is in 2020, a our CEO, you know, was just like, you know, had started working with a few restaurants, and all of a sudden, pandemic hit, and they had to just go live with digital ordering because all of a sudden, the restaurants had no way to make money except through those channels. After a few months of doing that, uh, I believe he he got just like a really simple email from a woman claiming to be from PepsiCo, saying, "Hey, we 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 like the work you're doing. Would you be interested in talking about you know this big program we're setting up?" And in the wake of George Floyd's murder, Pepsi pledged, I believe, it was four hundred fifty million dollars to black and minority-owned businesses, and a portion of that they were gonna focus mainly on black owned restaurants. And that was through the Dig In campaign. And they wanted us to run, they, they, they hired Figure Eight to you know, provide our services free of charge to the operators themselves. And Amazing. we call it the BRD, rest, uh, BRD program, Black Restaurants Deliver. We have that program, we have Hispanic Digital and Delivery, which is, you know, a, a program exactly the same, but providing that same support for Hispanic-owned restaurants, and that's part of the Juntos Crecemos program. Um, and you know, I, I believe that's the most rewarding part of my job is, you know, yes, great to help the, the, the QSR restaurants uh, grow from five to 35 locations, uh, but you know, to work with a mom and pop shop to build out a system that all of a sudden allows them to uh, allows guests or to order and to you know walk in the door either in person or virtually that might not otherwise have you know found that restaurant can be life changing. Um, one of our one of the past HDD operators, uh, Naomi, she and her family uh, run this restaurant Cuernavacas Grill in LA and the you know the overnight change from the work that we've done or the work that we originally did for her allowed them to open up second location the a year later and she and this is again not to give us all the credit Naomi is an unbelievable entrepreneur businesswoman and like just such an inspiration to work with because you know while you're doing all of this for her 
she, in the middle of your you know, spiel about what SEO is and, and why it's important to have a website and a Google My Business that people can find and send and direct traffic to ordering, she's saying, okay, wait, wait, can I write this all down or can you send me this so I can send it to my friend down the street? She's got a small restaurant. Uh, this, I think this would really help her. And she's built this amazing you know, community of, of Latin women-owned restaurants out in LA and you know talk about a rising tide floats all boats it's really just this amazing swell of of you know Hefa is the, the the other program that was started is the Hefa own campaign and that's specifically for women-owned restaurants that we also got to partake in but to watch that and to be a part of that is is a pretty beautiful experience that's amazing uh, one of our embedded partners is a company called Fox Ordering have you heard of them yeah, I've, I've worked uh, on some Fox ordering before. Right on, yeah. Well, I mean, I think they're, they really focus on Spanish-speaking restaurants um, and, and kind of being their, like, their tech solution on the restaurant tech side. And, uh, you know, as it relates to using DoorDash's driver's network, uh, Twilio for automation, and, um, and, and yeah, like, definitely helping them use their their terminal and, and their tech stack to kind of grow their business. And um, it's been a really cool partner to have, uh, obviously, uh, you know, going into financing with uh, a restaurant, uh, especially restaurants that have likely smaller margins. Um, you know, it's not always the, 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 you don't want to you don't want to come with with malintent and and Tento definitely doesn't do that but it's fascinating to to see where these restaurants are their journey and how important capital is um and you know finding the the right uh mix of capital for for these customers is really important because a lot of them if they don't get capital they'll just the restaurant won't make it to the next month because they're they're running on such um low margins so it's, it's fascinating that to see you across um, all those different campaigns, and uh, you know, from the CSR side, and and um, I feel like you guys are doing some rewarding stuff. It's really cool to hear. No, it's 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 really incredible. And and again, like I, our, our figure eight was doing like important work before Pepsi, and then Pepsi came in and and allowed us to provide the services that we knew how to do really well for. I think we're up to. I think we've we've you know reached over 600 restaurants um, across the two programs over three years, and that's 100% free of charge for those operators. That's so cool. It's incredible. That's massive. Is did it did uh is is Pepsi an investor in you guys too? No, not they. They no. just you know they hire us to be you know the main contractor for these two programs. Juntos crecemos or. or HDD and BRD, and yep. you know that allows us to do our services for free for the operator. I, I, had, a, I had a quick question as it relates to franchises and franchisees. Um, so let's say you were going to work with a large franchise, would you would they mandate or basically give you the introduction to other franchisees to partner with you? That is how we've done it in the past with with certain clients. You know, again, since those those larger franchises become a case by case basis on on what that structure of work is going to look like, you know, it, for some of them, it you know, it became we are we were responsible for building their 
you know, SOP for new franchises to get set up on online ordering platforms, which sounds pretty mundane, but if you're looking at a franchise that's already at multi-hundred units and every franchisee that's coming in knows nothing about this or, or has the potential to know nothing about this, we needed to kind of figure out this unique solution to, you know, how can we make this um, information and step-by-step -step process really digestible, but also, you know, tailored enough that this very intense, uh, intensely integrated system of menus uh, across hundreds of locations are all going to push correctly and are all going to be very learnable by mm -hmm. you know anyone who's entering that system for the first time got it got it yeah i i spoke to the founder of a company called loma they're called lomaplatform.com and what they do is they go into franchises and in the contract with the franchisee there's a certain amount of marketing spend that they're supposed to allocate towards uh, driving business and a lot of them don't even use it and so they go in and they basically create a hyper-targeted localized marketing campaign across all mediums and drive performance that way, which I think is a, a pretty cool way for them to kind of like, you know, use the marketing dollars that are already allocated. Very cool. I haven't heard of them at all. I'll definitely, I'll definitely follow up with you. That's, yeah. you know, that, that's brilliant. That's definitely like where these systems grow to such a size that things get lost. And totally. sometimes that's where, you know, you hire people to come in and, and you know, unlock the functionality of that. I think that's another aspect, uh, or that's another thing that Figure 8 does really well. We often get times, you know, the, the range of point of sale companies out there is you know, growing every day. They're the big three uh, for restaurants, which is Clover, Square, and Toast. Toast. Of course, you gotta talk about Toast. <laughs> Toast. Um, and, and, you know, for some people, those, those platforms can be incredibly expensive. And the majority of operators who are on these systems are not making use of, you know, X percent of the functionality that's available to them. And so, yeah. you know, part of that untangling of webs is like, no, let's pause. Let's look at what you're using, what you're not using. And let's have these systems do the work for you like they're intended to, so that you can work. You know, as a restaurant operator, of course, you're you know, you're running around, you know, wearing a hundred different hats. Um, how do we get you to take a step back and you know let those systems automate a lot of those processes that they're supposed to automate, so that you can work less in the business and more on the business and focus on that, you know, that growth mindset or that brand mindset, you know, because as, as I'm sure you guys are aware, you know, running a restaurant is not just about making good food. It's about having a marketing department. It's about a merch department. It's about, mm -hmm. you know, engaging with an influencer who's, you know, maybe a third of your age, who's going to end up driving tens of thousands of dollars in sales over a single month because of one post. If we can you know, set up a system that allows you to have even just one of those conversations, that might be the change that allows you to unlock that you know, X many dollars in sales that you otherwise would not have if you were worried about why is the ticket printer not printing that online order? Right, right.
insights. Transcendence. It's a lot of good figure eight insights right there. Go figure. Go figure. Okay, yeah. <laughs> should we um, should we get well, t-shirts? Well, should, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest that. <laughs> I want a tea. Yeah. That figure. That'd be right in line with uh, thought sauce. Um, <laughs> sauce thought 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 thought. Um, uh, well, well, well I want to. Yeah, I am. I own I own the crew neck. Speaking right. of merch, I so mean, you know, you, you you know the merch game inside and out. Um, y'all have some of my merch. Um, I I did want to. Uh, turn the conversation a little more personal on your end because um, you know what you've done at Figure Eight is so cool. I mean, you've weathered that. You know, being an entrepreneur ain't ain't easy, and you've certainly, you know, done it in many different ways in in multiple different arenas of your life. You know, having been through all those troughs, uh, is there is there any advice you'd give to to young Harold? Mm. Uh, this is this is so much easier to say than to than to do and you know, hearing someone say it to you is one of the most infuriating things is like, oh, go out and try and fail. Well, like going out and failing is a really harrowing process and oftentimes a luxury that you don't always have. I would say weirdly don't take things as seriously as they might appear. And that may be, you know, coming from a place of privilege as well, but you know, my, wow, I'm, I'm going to go back to something my dad always said uh, to me when I was younger. Um, and, and, you know, upon reflection, it's, it's becoming, he, maybe he was really secretly into astrology and manifesting, but <laughs> he said, you know, from very early age, you will get what you want from this world. And that applies to a job, that applies to, you know, grades, that applies to the people you surround yourself with. If you truly want that thing and you're, you know, not just working toward it, you know, okay, I need to do two hours toward this, you know, end goal, but you're subconsciously working toward it and all of your actions begin to, you know, going back to this idea of gravity, all of your actions, subconscious and conscious, start flowing in toward that, you know, that that point of you know, that that direction, that final direction. Um, it should like that that you will get that thing that you and your body and your your soul whether you believe in that or not want and so you know let things happen would you say yes to these these business ideas one capels lapels you partner with um some 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 taylors brooks brothers thomas pink and we supply we become the supply chain for lapels you like that idea? I think every business, if you have a good, you know, if you have good wordplay, the world is your oyster. So yeah, count me in on Capel's lapels. And then what about what about we use Harry's Dairy at oh. Capel's at Capel's Creamery? Griff, you, so, you are you are speaking my language right now. Keep going. I mean, that's it. That's all I can come up. Damn. On. There's a. Um, a barber near me called Directa's Cut, but it's D-I-R-E-C-T-A-Z. And Love it. I think that there's a reason they're still in business. That's all I'm saying, y'all. It's all about setting expectations, right? Lapels, lapels. If, if, if you're going to Directa's, you know, you know, I, I think you have a, an expectation of what cut you're getting, and it's going to hit that expectation. And 
as as I learned once from a random stranger at a at a some town in Vermont, you know, reality is happy or happiness is reality minus expectations. So, <laughs> wow. Maybe don't be another don't, math equation. <laughs> yeah, you gotta carry. We should do carry the one. We should do a collab with Nighthawk and directors, where like directors come in and get their haircut at Nighthawk for once a month for free. Well, you know, Martin Scorsese comes to Bedstuy to get his haircut at Directors Cut. There you go, man. That's sweet. Well, um, Harry, is there is there any to, speaking of levity? Is there anything we should look forward to in your life or at Figure Eight this year? You know what what's what's on the twenty twenty four docket? I, I'm really excited for Figure Eight. As I said, we just hired some, we hired an amazing group of six new individuals who are coming from very diverse backgrounds, both you know professionally and personally. Uh, and I think that's going to allow us to you know, continue to expand that range of operator and concept that we're able to you know, provide something for. Uh, you know, me personally. Uh, that that little love of cooking that I rediscovered in my parents' home when my sister came back from from school at the very beginning of pandemic, she ended up going to Dominique Ancel to work. She spent a year in France uh, working, you know, or doing culinary school there, and then working at fancy place in Saint Tropez. And, you know, she's back in the city now and boy, did I miss having my sister around, but also cooking food with her is, is just such, it's, you know, cooking food with your, is with your friends and cooking food for other people is, is one special thing. But to get to do that with someone who you've shared more of your life with than, you know, anyone else, um, is really happy and deep and meaningful and, in, a, in, in an ineffable way. The, the end goal is, you know, one day we'll do Harry and Kate's pig and blanket concept. It's just pig and blankets, except we're gonna be doing ducks and duvets. I love it. Yeah. Ducks and duvets. Ducks and duvets. See it. See us 20, what, what year is it, 2024? See us 2029, ducks and duvets. I go. I would love to have you, Griffin. I would. Ducks Unlimited, baby. Let's go. Yeah. Well, on that note, should we just do a, a quick fins up, fins down on, on some Oscar nominations here? Yeah, of course. Oh, let's. Oh, I'm excited. Um, okay, so I don't know uh, if you all saw the, the, the nominations today, but um, for Best Picture, we have American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. Give, give What are your votes? Name your picture. Hmm. Oppenheimer, too long. Killers of the Flower Moon, too long. And I know that's you know such a terrible take, but I'm sitting through those movies, and both of these directors know how to tell an amazing story. And you know this wasn't one of their amazing stories. Or at least they didn't do a, an engaging enough job to, to warrant a three-hour experience. Fair enough. No, so fins neutral. No, no fins. None of those pictures. <sighs> to be honest, I haven't seen a lot of the other ones. 
I'm 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 way behind on my movie going here with the best pictures at least. My fins are neutral, and I haven't seen a lot of them. But I think that when I watch American fiction, that my fins will be up. Fair enough. That's, I'm, um, I'm I'm excited about Poor Things. I, I I need to I need to see Poor Things. I haven't seen Poor Things, but my fins are up for it. Maestro is horrible. Maestro is bad. I'm sorry to anyone else who wasted their time. Yeah, bad. Self-indulgent Bradley. Truly, God. truly. Harry, as a native New Yorker, mm. Manhattanite. Mm. Okay, what it, do you have sports? Any sports allegiances? <laughs> can I can I can I can I guess? Sure, go for it. Giants, Yanks, Rangers, Liberty. You know, Griffin, I thought I liked you, but I clearly I know nothing about you, and you don't know anything about me. <laughs> Mets, Nets, Jets. <laughs> it's, Mets, it's Jets. Mets, Mets, Jets. I'm not a huge basketball guy, but like I have to go uh, Nets. Nets. Wait, no, no, not Brooklyn Nets. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm the Knicks. I'm Knicks. Uh, okay. It's a weird mix. I'm, I'm Mets, Jets, Knicks, definitely Rangers. And I guess if I had to choose, it's the Liberty. I love it. Have you seen the... The Russian basketball team um, on Coney Island called the Nets. <laughs> no, I love that though. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I dig it. Good vibes, y'all. Yeah. Um, no, thank you guys. This, is, this has been fantastic. What a, what a great way to kind of just shoot the shit about my life like who would ever want to hear about my life but here we are it's it's <laughs> called aprons off content you know we want to we want to we want to see what it's like once you get all the crud off your apron and you, you just spit it to us straight 